Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Thursday, uh, welcome to All Marine Radio. Uh, the Mensa brothers will join me, and we're going to talk about the uh, findings of fact in the investigation that uh, was released a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a one meth investigation into the sinking of an AAV off the coast of California last this past July. Um, today, we'll talk about what is known as the findings of fact. And that is a part of the investigation where the investigating officer just lists facts, and most often in chronological order, uh, that he has discovered during the course of his, his investigation. So... I don't intend to open the show or do anything else. Uh, the segment is long. It's a couple hours long. Um, uh, but I would tell you it is uh, well worth your time uh, relative to uh, to listening. Uh, so I will get out of the way. And uh, and this is, uh, this is a look at the findings of fact in, uh, in the investigation that was just published two weeks ago. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Good Thursday morning to you. Mike McNamara with you, along with the Mensa Brothers, and um, pretty sober uh, content that we'll do today as we take a look at the findings of fact. We have to do a little house cleaning first, but we'll take a look at the findings of fact of the uh, investigation into the sinking of an AV last July uh, that was part of the 15th MU. So uh, joining me from uh, McAllen, Texas, is Tim Lynch. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Mac. Thanks for having me on again. You bet. You bet. And... Uh, uh, just outside Kansas City, Kansas, Will Cosentini. Will, how are you? Great. Great here in the uh, Midwest. All right. And then from Southern California, my Southern California compatriot, Jeff Kenny. Jeff, how you doing? Good. Very good. Thank you. All right. Uh, a couple of house cleaning things. Uh, Will, you want to make a correction to something that uh, you said last week, so we'll start with that. Yeah, sort of just a minor detail. We were talking about the investigation and, and why the safety boat wasn't in the water 
uh, and I had said because I thought that the boat davit, the uh, the mechanical device that lowers the boat into the water was broken. That was incorrect. And when we get into the narrative, we'll go through exactly what was supposed to happen with the boats and why they didn't happen. Okay, um, and you're specifically talking when the AVs launched in the morning. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I, I've had a number of people reach out. I, I mean, a lot of people are listening, and uh, and and your both your expertise um, are uh, are greatly appreciated, um, Will and Jeff, and uh, and then explaining some of this stuff for people that have never been a part of MU. Um, I had a number of calls about the. Uh, the tracks that were that were um, that were that were given to the Mew, and Timmy, I want you to read something that that you, um, if yeah, you want, I, I sorry. go ahead. No, I pulled up the document and I couldn't see it. Sorry, I missed my cue, brother. But what I wanted to point out was the endorsement from the first MFCG. And in his uh, in, in paragraph D, finding number or opinion number 22, uh, I'll pick up here in, in, in uh, mid paragraph, fully operational and mechanically sound AVs should have been provided to the 15th view on the day the new composited, that's 20 April, and the AAV selected should have been among the most reliable and well-tained vehicles. The next sentence, the decision to select AAVs from the deadline lot showed extremely poor judgment. And as I read that, I saw Jeff shaking his head. Uh, this, these are sentences I would, I thought I would never see. Um, pulling things off deadline and shipping them over to the mule. Uh, it, that is, to me, uh, rather startling. All right. Yeah. So, so let, me, let, me just, let me just frame this as, as, as some of these, you know, I talked to a couple of logistics officers and, and a couple of, uh, of uh, mule guys. And they said, you know, there's a game that gets played where, uh, because the mews have higher priority relative to spa- parts and maintenance, um, you send your, you know, your not so great vehicles over there, and you cut a deal and and whatever you decide who's going to pay for it, and but they make your less than good AVs good, and just about everybody who who contacted me relative to this subject said that's a game that's been going on for a long time. Uh, you guys both have experience in this stuff. Um, comment on that? Well, um, I never saw that in the 80s and 90s when I had experience at a company level with the uh, – it was the muse were really taken seriously. And you didn't want to show your ass by having shit that was uh, deadline by any means. I heard, though, that same thing from people. And uh, in the two, once we got into Iraq and everything, uh, you know, priorities shifted. Um, there's almost like a war between, you know, they, we were still sending the Mews out regularly. As a matter of fact, a lot of times the Mews would go into Iraq and then later on in Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, and, and of course there's not much amphibious ops in Central Asia, you know, when you get past the, uh, you know, the high water mark. So th- it wasn't really an issue. But the Mews are still going out. And I think that type of stuff developed over time because no one was getting killed on Mews that didn't go in country. And uh, they're doing TSE events and stuff like that. So I could see where, you know, uh, that would happen. You know, I could see where that would happen. And I'll tell you, I had some very 
reliable people in the last two days tell me exactly that, you know, because I'm right there in, in the OTG, and uh, you know, it's of course it's the main topic of conversation, and uh, I've heard that, so I believe it. Got well. Yeah, what I would say about this is, uh, as part of the investigation, there's a copy of the CG one MEF order on forming a MU, and the one MEF order states MU commanders shall be provided with properly equipped forces upon composite. So the MU commander lays a marker on the ground. That's a direct order. They shall be properly equipped. Now, there's, the a few miti- there's a few MEF commander. There's a few mitigations in there that if for some reason they can't be then there'll be a plan on how to mitigate it, which is typically fiscal. They're going to transfer monies or priorities over to be able to bring that equipment up to standard. Um, and so if this shell game is being played, it's being played with the full knowledge and, well, maybe not the knowledge, but the complicity yeah. of the MEF commander via his staff. The MEF maintenance officer would be the one that would have visibility on all those things. We talked a little bit last week about, you know, readiness reporting. We used to call it sorts. It's called DERS now. Yeah. Defense readiness something reporting system. Right. And so, so that AV battalion commander has got to submit a DERS report. And then there's a DERS report that's done immediately upon composite that should show that those vehicles are not condition code A, that should get the attention of someone in the MEF 3 shop operations where the DERS is compiled. And that should be something that's a a critical information requirement of the MEF commander. Did we properly composite? Right. So That's every month, that DERS thing. Absolutely. And so you know it went out within 30 days of composite. And you're supposed to be P1 for personnel and T1 for training. Otherwise, you don't go. Or you know, some kind of mitigation, like you yeah. said. And, and so while all of this may be reality, that this shell game is being played. It's not supposed to be. There's general officers, and then that report ends up at headquarters Marine Corps and gets compiled. And... You know, the commandant in his uh, daily ops slide deck that goes into him shows the location of all the mews. At some point, if you're doing all that reporting and nobody cares, why do all the reporting? (laughs) And if you can report that you're not condition code A upon composite and nobody cares, then why are you reporting? Or if you're not reporting truthfully about it. So that's how we got to this point. All right, let, let me just interject. Uh, this is um, opinions. This is the CG1 MEF endorsement. Uh, the 15th MU CO did make AV maintenance deficiencies a priority, and based on the coordinated repair actions taken by the 15th MU in the 1st Marine Division, he reasonably believed that necessary corrective actions were being taken. All AVs that were transferred to the 15th MU to include the mishap AV pass the final inspections prior to transfer and conduct of any operations using AAVs. Okay, so that's in that's that's in his endorsement. 
Um, but again, as as a guy, and Will can attest to this, <clears throat> when you have problem vehicles, I mean, they, they seem to always be a problem. They're called ramp queens. Okay? And and I don't know. It's Davy Jones inside of a vehicle. I, I don't know what it is. But it's... So it's like when you take these things out of the boneyard, right? It's not like you're sending them back to the Service Life ex, uh, Extension Program, SLEP, where they strip it down to metal and they rebuild the whole thing. It ain't like that. You know? And so... Again, um, but again, I, I, I just want to make that. I, I want to read something that somebody sent me a screenshot of an endorsement. Evidently, and I'm trying to FOIA the, the rest of the investigation, but an Amtrak went down uh, that was attached to the 26 MU off Onslow Beach in 2019. And I just want to, the, the screenshot they sent me was from the endorsement and I don't even know whose endorsement it is. Okay. But I, I, I just, let me just read two paragraphs because this is going to, I mean, it's just too familiar going forward. Leadership must take a more hands-on approach in all pre-combat checks and inspections to ensure cleanliness and proper functioning of critical equipment. Additionally, leadership must also supervise completion and reporting of vehicle maintenance to include global combat Support, service, Marine Corps, GSSMC, job status, updates, and closure. Jobs are when you open up a, a trouble ticket on a, uh, on, on a piece of equipment that, are, that is uh, broken. That's a job, right? The leadership, of the, platoons, the leadership of the AA platoon's failure to maintain detailed supervision of maintenance reporting and vehicle readiness for swim operations resulted in an AV that was not properly maintained, prepared, or inspected. These factors combined with the longer-than-expected movement and higher-than-expected sea state ultimately resulted in the AV's inability to reach the ship as planned. That's straight-up deja vu right there, right? Happens, yep. happens a year prior to. And then this is the next bullet. I encourage the lessons learned from this investigation to be shared with other AA battalions, battalion landing teams, and marine expeditionary units so the mistakes so that mistakes are not repeated elsewhere in the force. Um, so um, I you know somebody wrote a date on this said this was summer of twenty nineteen. Um, so that's pretty chilling uh, to read that. Um, Will, I want to ask you, you and I, we're having a conversation during the week. Um, you wanted to make a comment about oftentimes when there's accidents, uh, people use the analogy, this is the Swiss cheese model. Could you first explain the Swiss cheese model and then explain and, and your thoughts relative to that? Yeah, I think the Swiss cheese model is basically you have a bunch of slices of Swiss cheese with random holes in them. And for a catastrophic accident to occur, you throw all that cheese together in a random pattern, but one set of holes all lines up. So a bunch of disparate things come together that lead to a tragedy. Um, and I, I personally don't think that that applies here. Uh, th- there may have been a way for at some point um, 
for this incident to be completely, uh, to be not fatal as it was. But I think when you read the investigation, all 1,700 pages of it, you see failures at many levels of command in terms of equipment and training and leadership, i.e. inspections and accountability. And then you see those failures manifest in the event that occurred to include maintenance issues, AAV crew training issues, uh, cohesion issues between Embark troops and AAVs, uh, failure to follow standard procedures with the Navy, uh, etc. I, I, any one of those things taken away, I don't think would have mitigated this. Um, and so, you know, the, the Marfor Pax endorsement, his final conclusion is a confluence of human and mechanical failures causes sinking the mishap AAV. But he puts it all down on a very low level. The human and mechanical failures were all due to that particular vehicle and those particular people. And I just, I don't buy that. I, I the simple point of new commanders shall be provided with properly equipped forces upon composite. That's a three-star general who says that he wasn't there that day, but he has as much to do with it. There's a two-star general who's supposed to execute that. There's a Lieutenant Colonel in the supporting unit that's supposed to do that. So, um, you know, we think back to the Rother investigation. In some ways, that's a switch cheese model. It's it's a series of poor communications, poor decisions. Everything comes together, and you get that one hole in the switch cheese, and Rother's dead. I don't. I personally don't think that's the case here. I want to read one of the things that's happened. Uh, there's a couple things that have happened, and and. Well, one in the last 48 hours, and the other one, you know, we've been reading for the last week, and that is uh, quotes from family members. And uh, the quotes are absolutely brutal, and I just want to read a few of them. Um, This is a quote from um, um, Evelyn Baltiera. Her son was a PFC, Brian Baltiera, 18, right? And so he was told, she was told this uh, by a Marine who was in the track. Evan, and which is her son, right? And Brian, no, Brian's her son, but Evan and Brian were praying together because that's all they had in the darkness, El- Evelyn told Marine Corps Times. They were praying together because they knew they couldn't make it. Next quote. They were murdered. There is no other way to put it, said Paul Warner, Lance Corporal Chase Sweetwood's stepfather, who raised the Marines since he was a little boy. They were failed from the minute they were chopped into service to the minute it sank. Next um, next quote. Uh, this is 
from this is Christiana Sweetwood, uh, Lance Corporal Chase Sweetwood's mother. He always wanted to so badly be a Marine from the time he was real little. You look clear from the beginning, and it was bad from every single person down. They failed, they failed, they failed, they failed going down the line. You you clear from the beginning had red flag, red flag, red flag. Then they died. And so that's, and the quotes are, you know, you hear the word murdered, Right? You hear the word murdered. They murdered my son over and over. And, and this is Nancy Vienna. Her son is, is a corpsman. They murdered my son. They put him on a railroad track, tied him up, and said, hey, the train's coming. Just stand there and die. Wait, you're getting murdered today. It's your date of death. I just need to finish this mission. And so, I mean, those articles have been brutal. And, and I can't imagine. I mean, as a and we, we, we've talked about this a little off the air, but I've I can't imagine being a family member and, you know, somebody coming in and and giving you this litany of errors and telling you that one of your babies died like this. Um, Timmy forwarded uh, uh, a piece, and I want to read a couple quotes because these are quotes from Marines in the the Amtrak community, okay? Um, under Under a paragraph, now this is from... Uh, Coffee or Die, the headline of the story written by James R. Webb, is Marine trackers push back after General Blame's vehicle commander for deadly AAV mishap. Okay, so, quote, and this is a, this is a quote from uh, General, Lieutenant General Heckel's endorsement. Ultimately, the entire mishap could have been averted and lives saved if the vehicle commander had followed standard operating procedures in order to the embarked personnel to take off the gear and evacuate the mishap AAV. Quote, I don't agree with that at all. It's really a culture thing that the track is going to have water in it, and it doesn't matter, an active duty Marine who served aboard AAVs from 2008 to 2013 and was a vehicle commander, told coffee or die. Quote, from the beginning, when you're at the schoolhouse, it's ingrained in your head that the track is going to take on water, that it's not a big deal. The community is built on, the vehicles suck, the parts suck, we do more with less. It's almost like a weird point of pride. The vehicles suck, they're always broken. The Marine Corps did not respond to multiple requests for comments. Um, thoughts on uh, on either set of quotes? Timmy? Well, I, I I don't want to parse the the the, the, the statements from the uh, the Marines' parents. I, how, how do you deal with a loss like that? The only thing I would point out is normally when we lose Marines around AAVs is because we've crushed them or run over them. And I'm not so sure I'd feel any different if if that were the case with my son either. So I don't I don't you know the the, the parents I I can't I I. I can't fault them for for how they see this. Although I don't believe that that murdered is a is the appropriate thing. The coffee and die article was interesting because I got there's a quote in there from an active duty marine that says they have you put them under your flak. Why the f would you do that? They won't inflate. I, I'm confused uh, uh, about this because in our days that OPU 41 went over your head, but we had 
we had uh, uh, the, the Kevlar in our war belts, and that, you could shut those in a heartbeat, and it wouldn't interfere with the with the with the lifeboat. Right? So yeah. that wasn't an issue. I'm curious as to what the standards are. Do you put them under the the body armor, or do you shut the body armor and put them back on if you're going down? That I, there's something strange going on here, because I think the Marines right. If you've got your you've got that under your body armor and you're down below 30 feet, it's not going to do shit. Obviously. Yeah, well, my that's the only that's my only comments about, about those quotes about the things you know um, being over your your uh, stuff and you're able to you, the old body armor we had wasn't as wasn't as effective at protecting you and it wasn't as heavy you know it's just that mm-hmm. stuff but uh, the uh, asking around the the, uh, the stuff they have now that those uh, BCs if you're on the surface it will keep you afloat with your shit on. If you go down, hold on, hold, hold on. What'd you call that thing? The buoyancy compensator. Okay, all right, all right. Like you know, the now, somebody sent me an email that said, "You guys have gotten better, but you're still using too many acronyms for me." So I just want to. <laughs> sometimes we inflate by pulling a <laughs> thing, and the CO two cartridge inflates it. And this thing is very there, but if you were down one atmosphere, which is thirty two feet. 33 pounds of lift for the thing are, are gone, so you'll drown. And uh, every guy in that AV who died uh, activated his buoyancy compensator, and they're floating down below between one and two atmospheres. Um, you know, they, uh, and w- so what I'm saying is it degrades its ability to keep, to stay up every atmosphere of 33 more pounds. So if you're down 60 some feet, it, it's not going to do any good. You may sink actually to the bottom, you know. Uh, but apparently, none of these guys sunk to the bottom. Uh, you know, they were, unless I was misinformed, they were suspended there. You know, between one and two atmospheres deep, and uh, so that's how they do that stuff now with the uh, with the you know the life jackets. But the uh, the the decision to evacuate the vehicle, you know. It should have been made earlier. I mean, it's obvious, you know, but uh, water was ankle deep and, and uh, you know, f- flooding. And at, at a certain point, the thing, you know, there's a certain point where it just sinks. And I don't know what that point is. So like I said, I've never been any, even though I got hundreds of rides in these things in the water, never did we, you know, get to, you know, have a situation like this. We had dead in the water AVs that we had to tow. And sometimes we pull people out of them and put them in other AVs. Because we had to get them up on the on the uh, you know into the well deck of the ship that was accepting us, but uh, never did I have this you know th- that type of thing happen. But the the equipment it works if you use it right. You know if it's if it's if it's functional, and if it's used right, it will work. You know. All right. Let me yeah. bef- before I would say we'll, we'll comment. The there, there's one more quote that that I want to read, and before you comment, well. Uh, for two of the families, Marine Corps mistakes did not stop at the sinking of the, of the AV. The Marine Corps repeatedly misfiled and delayed the process of paperwork. Christiana Sweetwood and Alita Bath told Marine Corps Times, though her casualty assistance officer has been wonderful, dealing with the bureaucracy of the Marine Corps has been hard for Alita Bath. They made mistakes on my son's paperwork. They had to amend the death certificates. This is your biggest accident in the history of the Marine Corps and you can't even get the date right? Alita Bath said, when the Marine Corps asked for comment on this, official spokesman referred 
the Marine Corps Times back to the investigation. The incident was the single deadliest AV accident in Marine Corps history. And then that's referring to her comment that it was a single deadliest accident, which it is not. And then she says this, we haven't been kept abreast of what's going on, Alita Bath said. Many of the families said they have been left in the dark by the Marine Corps for several months as they did their own research into what happened. They kind of just disappeared for us. We had our Caicos, and that is the casualty assistance officers, but we weren't receiving 30-day updates since November or December, Christiana Sweetwood said. So for seven or eight months, we had to do our own research. They left us with nothing. The Marine Corps has yet to respond to that. Anyway, well, I just want to throw that out before you comment. Yeah, just just to go back for a second, the you know the the comments from the Amtrakers, oh, there's going to be water in there. Well, the the one of the additions in that investigation talks about the AVSOP that when water is at boot ankle depth, whatever that means, you evacuate. And so if people are saying there was routinely water in there, then we're in contravention to our own SOPs. Not that much. Yeah. I would say about that comment, you know, at some point, you know, the commandant owns this, right? He, he's, he's the ultimate in loco parentis for all the Marines out there. Um, and, and we don't know what the families went through with just the bureaucracy. But the idea that, that they had to fight anything is unconscionable. And the idea that CMC was not informed or didn't know is unconscionable by his staff. And so he, you know, he needed to embrace those families. He owes it to them. We all owe it to them. Embrace those families. We cannot bring your sons back. But we can make everything else absolutely easy. And if there's uh, a period misplaced on a DD-214 or a death certificate, then some three-star general is supervising a CWO-5 in the admin office to get that right. And it's going to be done yesterday. And, and if, there's, if this became part of routine business, I mean, that's not our institution, right? Because all we are is the people. And if we lose the people side of that, uh, Tim, I, I agree with your comment. You know, the the, the families, you know, how, how would you react? I mean, three of us on the show have had sons that were in the Marine Corps. Some still are. Um, but after that, the Marine Corps should be doing everything it possibly can to do what it's supposed to do. And, you know, just a, a slight anecdote, um, you know, I lost seven Marines in Iraq when I was a CO. Um, I came home and I, I went and visited all those families with the exception of one. We had a non-battle death in a different unit and the death investigation took about four months and that Marine's mom wouldn't believe a word that the Marine Corps said after that and she wouldn't talk to me. One of the reasons I went there is to personally express my condolences to attempt 
if I could, to illuminate any of the circumstances about how the Marine got killed that they didn't know. But the other part of it was to make damn well sure that the Marine Corps did what it's supposed to do and that the family knew that the Marine Corps did what it's supposed to do. And then when I came home, I had a company deployed, and we had four Marines killed in action there, and I went to every one of those funerals, I handed a flag to their mom, and one of the things I did was to make sure the Marine Corps was going to do this the way it's supposed to do, but again, to also make sure that the family believed that the Marine Corps did what it's supposed to do. Um, I'm the Commandant's representative there. This is our Marine Corps that we're trying to, you know, we believe in it, and it's got to do the right thing. And you know what? Mistakes mistakes are made, and people get killed. The enemy gets a vote on some of those, but the ones that we own, we should be above and beyond with those families. That they may be bitter that their son died, but they shouldn't be bitter about the way it was handled uh, from that point on. Um, so it's really it's disturbing to me. Uh, it's really disturbing to me um, that that a family would have that kind of a complaint, and uh, you know, and it's also unfortunate that that you know, I, I wish it wouldn't have to come through Marine Corps Times to get comment. I, I would hope that someone heard that comment via Marine Corps Times, and that uh, the crisis action team flew to that family immediately. And we don't care what Marine Corps Times thinks but went out there to do everything to try and make right whatever we can. We cannot bring your son back, but we can make a lot of other things right, or we should. So those, those were, that was troubling. All right. Um, an email question I got, and uh, Jeff, let me direct this at you. Uh, and this had to do with what did the meth, and then what we'll do is, is uh, Will's going to kind of walk us through uh, a timeline relative to the, to the findings of fact, and then we'll talk about for findings of fact that break squelch for us. And uh, so we'll spend our, our, our time today on that. Um, um, so here's the question. What did the MEF and division orders say that the AAV crew had to do and that the, the embarked Marines had to do? Uh, Jeff, can you fill us in on that? Yeah, the um, the AAV crew is thoroughly indoctrinated in how to get out of the uh, how to get out of the Amtrak if it starts to sink, and it's their responsibility to advise the embarked troops. But um, now, the only people who both now this by this, this is by MEF order division order. Where, where does MEF, this come from? This is the this is the uh, part of the MEF's. Uh, supervised mu loi that goes out to division um mlg marine logistics group and the and the air wing component of the mu of the MEF, and then they all they provide their you know their uh subordinate units in the aav case the uh there's a um it's a, a they call it s vet which um with, with with the AAV troops, the 1833s, that's their military occupational specialty, all have to go through, which is highly detailed, and that's a good, you know, it's a good training requirement. And that's uh, in their uh, 
amphibious assault vehicle uh, field manual and uh, 3001. In the 1833s, all the crew have to do that. But there's no specified training for the embarked troops other than the uh, brief that they have to get from the uh, from the AV crew, from the AV platoon commander, you know, d- directed by him. And it usually it happens AV by AV, crew by crew to embark Marines to embark Marines. And because of the insistence of most ground commanders, me in my case, my company commander and I was a lieutenant, we got detailed into what happens if these things have problems. So it was a little bit more. And most – but that's but you. but that's not in the order. What's in order is they have to get a brief. That is in the order. That is in the uh, that, in the that they have to get a brief. Yes, but nothing. But, but nothing beyond that. No training no, is required no. beyond that by order. No, there isn't. So so any helo dunker training or any 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 anything that would be done would be over and above what is directed uh, yes. by the order. Okay. Yes. All right. So the AV has to go through their training, that the, that crew, and then once they marry up, um, then they have to get, give a safety brief, and that's it. Okay. So let me ask you this: You got to to you two who've done this before. Um, is that is it usual, customary, reasonable that you know? They don't practice egress, egressing the vehicle. That they don't know how to, to, uh, you know, one of the, you know, we'll get to this, but you know, yeah. one of the one of the worst findings of fact is they they're using their cell phone lights because the internal lights in the vehicle are not working. The chem lights are supposed to be uh, affixed to 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 the levers that that you use to open the hatches in the back. The chem lights aren't there. The Marines don't know how to do it. They get the the crew member who's now forward because his IC, his intercom helmet isn't working in the back hookup, moves forward. He's working on the front uh, lever that opens a hatch. The Marines have their cell phone lights out trying to find the back one and trying to work it. Um, so there's no dry land training. There's no crawl, walk, run on how we get the hell out of this thing. I mean, did, is, did you guys do that stuff? Yes. Yes, we did that all the time. Matter of fact, when you splash out of a, a ship to do an AV mission, you, everyone's buttoned up. Everything's buttoned up when you hit the water because you're actually submerged for a couple seconds. When you come up and the, and the AV breaks the surface of the water, we always open up the top hatches, which are like uh, rectangular doors that you open up, and they're locked to the sides of the uh, vehicle so that they stay open. Matter of fact, if they if they become unlocked, that is a hazard because they're very heavy and they can break your skull. And uh, so you make sure those things are secured. And this way, if you're swimming, if there's an issue then, you know, um, I used to do it mainly because, again, it was so rare to have an AV sink. It was mainly for so my guys would have situational awareness, you know, their surroundings. We're getting close to the, to the beach and then later on to the objective and so forth. But yeah, you know, you, you would open them. The, uh, the, the if no, there was but, an but, emergency, but, but I, no, but I, again, I want to go back to dry land training. Okay. Okay, but so it was it was customary in your workups as yeah. a, as a track guy that yeah. that you would that you would train to that. Yeah. First thing. And uh, not only that, 
um, it's it's a surprise to me that there is no stipulation that before that that Fibron Mu, you know, um, initial training, what we call P mint, that it was it's not written anywhere that the that the AAV cr- crews and the infantry company should do familiarization training. I mean, it's encouraged, but it's not stipulated. I thought it was like a flat ass rule, as General Mattis used to say. Okay. You will learn how to do as much of this stuff as possible before you even come close to embarking on a ship. Right. I know we did. We And 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 the, I think the reason why is if you have a good AAV platoon commander like I had and like Will had when we were company commanders, it, they're reaching to you and you're reaching to them. And, you know, um, they want you to know all their challenges. They want you to know, you know, uh, strengths and weaknesses of their equipment, their vehicles. And you want them to know, okay, you know, this is what, how you want to do things. And so, uh, and the first thing, of course, is the safety of your troops. Because I'll tell you, a lot of stuff can happen. Those AVs, you know, less than the thing sinking. I mean, you get stuck out there in the water a lot, sometimes for a lot of to- a long time. And, it, and it's hell on the troops in the compartment right. to where you might have heat casualties in there and so forth. Right. Everybody, so everybody there's all these things the water. that may happen. you got to work out mitigators for it, you know? Got it. And, all right. uh, let, let, me, let me let Will hop in here. Will, yeah. uh, your experience. Um... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I distinctly recall um, that first dry land training is how to load and how to unload. Right. And part of how to unload it's to make sure that you understand what the AAV crew can see and they can't see. And you've got to get some distance away from the vehicle. Uh, and they've got to understand, they got to know who the people are, who's the squad leader, who's the platoon commander, who's the fire team leaders. So that was a big focus of the training is, hey, don't stay close to these things when you get out because you get run over. But I also very distinctly recall how to open the damn top hatches mm-hmm. and secure them down. Because I guarantee you that there's dozens of Marines out there uh, on disability because they broke their arm, broke their fingers, broke their whatever because those hatches came down. Crushed, and, crushed yeah. them, as Jeff yeah. said very rightly. Those things are yeah. those things will hammer you. If you got a fully loaded AAV, might be 17 or 18 guys in there. The guy in the rear, the AAV crewman, he can't even reach the handle on the hatch. So the Marines that are sitting on that center bench got to know. Smith, you're opening the back hatch. Right. Jones, you're opening the front hatch. You know, Boslowski, you've got the freaking strap to make sure that it gets turned <laughs> down. And yeah. you got to go through that. And it's funny, you know, you did it, but then it became part of the SOP. Yeah, And you also, look, you got to train guys how to go up out of the top of the vehicle and then how they're going to get down from that thing because it's pretty tall. It's like 10 um, Yeah, Yeah. You don't want people jumping off the top of an AAV. And so you just did shit like that. And that's, you know, that's like at the uh, hand and arm signal level of infantry training. That's the, the first thing you do. Gentlemen. This is an Amtrak. You hold on, coach. You're going too fast. I mean, you start with the absolute. Here's how the back hatch goes out. Here's how everyone's going to get out. Here's the order you get out. Here's where everyone's going to line up. Here's how we get accountability. Here's how we signal to the crew that we're all out. That's when they know they can put the hatch up. 
Here's how you open the top hatch. This is the hatch you open. Here's how you get out. Because, again, if you got 18 guys trying to get out at the same time, that means no one's getting out. So those are real fundamentals that I don't – I mean, I think we did at the basic school we were lieutenants. But I'm, I'm sure that the guy who's a platoon commander for me, John Atkinson, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he shoved that up my ass probably 17 times more than I wanted to. Yeah. But – that's how it was. Yeah, you can't say enough about the teamwork that happens. Like, if you got to cross a hardball road, like at Camp Lejeune, and there's no tank trip, and there's no tank crossing, you get a bunch of trashy wood and stuff like that, and the grunts put it out there so the AV can cross, and then they police it up behind them. And then they're, you know, it's very, it gets to be very, uh, and especially if you're doing live fire shit and you're using the, the you know, the uh, Mod Deuce or, or the uh, Mark 19 in conjunction with like movements. You know, of your guys, it ha- it really becomes, uh, you know, something you really gotta, you just gotta encourage cohesion, and the only way you do that is by working together. Right. And the water part, though, you know, happened. We had what we had. It was not uncommon to have an AV go dead in the water, either on the way in or the way out. And they were experts. You know, I remember crew chiefs jumping from one AV to another. You know, working up. Uh, you know setting up uh, tow lines and stuff like that. And then w- sometimes AVs would swim up next to them that were, you know, a little bit not too full. A couple, you know, Marines would jump if it was really going to be an iffy thing to have almost the AVs almost empty if nothing, and only the AV crew on there to get back on the ship, you know? So uh, it was uh, this, the, this incident that we're talking about here seems to be in part also a, uh, a sense of uh, complacency in regards to the threat that was out there. You know what I mean? What, yeah. what, what threat are you talking about? The threat of uh, the AV having issues that might lead to your drowning. Right. Right. The fact you- that it's a dangerous thing. It's a big 26-ton vehicle. It's a miracle. It's a mystery how the fucking thing can float, even, you know, when it's working. You know, but uh, uh, so, yeah, it's... I had the idea they just thought, hey, you know, no big deal. But it's a huge big deal. Well, um, again, there's vehicles go dead in the water, right? Mm-hmm. And you tow them. And, uh, in fact, it happened to a different a- AV on this evolution. You know, it gets towed. That's, you know, that happens, right? Um, That's in the boat, but, basically. But, they, they train to that. You right. know what I mean? But, but being dead in the water and taking on water that's a different kettle of fish. That's different, okay? And so yeah. so when you begin to see these things, um, you know, it's uh, it's disturbing. All right, well, why don't you walk us through just a timeline? Um, where, where do you want to start? Yeah, so, I, so we sort of, we talked about last week just sort of the events leading up to the, to the day. And uh, the investigating officer put in about... Uh, three or 400 findings of fact. And the findings of fact are basically chronological, everything that happened in the event. Uh, a whole lot of them had to do with the search and rescue recovery, et cetera. So we won't talk about that. So, and then there, if in, and anyone out there can get the investigation, you know, we didn't steal it from someone. It's on USNI news. No, it's so on it's on, it. it's on this website right here. Just go to okay. The, you can read. Yeah, it just go to the re, just go to the read board, and you'll see it there. Yeah, and so the timeline 
is actually on page like 85 or something graphical. Uh, but here's what I gleaned out of the finding of fact. So on July 26th, Bravo Company, the infantry company, goes down to San Diego, gets on the ship. On July 27th, the AV platoon goes to the beach in Camp Pendleton to splash from the beach to go out to the ship. 14 vehicles launch. They just got the AV crewmen in them. On their way out to the ship on July 27th, two of those have maintenance issues so that the, the water propulsion system is not working. And how they maintain momentum in the water is they just turn the tracks. So instead of going about six or seven knots, they're going maybe two knots. Eventually, they all get out to Somerset. That's the 27th. Between the 27th and 29th, they do maintenance on those two vehicles so that they're all working. Okay. July 29th. Can you hold on one second? I, I just want to footnote something. Somerset is USS Somerset. Okay. Right. And, and could you just describe, not everybody's familiar with ship types and things like that. Will, could you just describe the Somerset? Uh, LPD-25. So I think that's like the Austin class. Um, it's got a flight deck with two helo spots on the back. And it's got a well deck so that the ship can actually flip the gate back. The gate goes down in the water. They can bring water, seawater into their ballast tanks, lower the rear end of the ship. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the ship is hollow. And you can put a whole load of vehicles in there. You can bring them in like AVs, swim themselves. You can bring them in on LCUs. Uh, you can bring them in on LCACs and there's, I couldn't tell you how many spots there are, but there's a, there's room for a whole load of vehicles back there. And so when you do AEV ops to bring them on, they, they call, they ballast the ship down. So the back end sinks down, the AVs propel themselves in, uh, there's water in the back of the ship. They ballast it up and all that water drains out and now you're aboard the ship. Got it. All right. So, so the 27th, they get on, they do maintenance. On the 29th, they get their operations order, and they do a confirmation brief on the ship. So on the ship would have been the CO of the ship, the first lieutenant of the ship who's responsible for the well deck operations, the company commander, the AV platoon commander, any of the leadership that's required. They do video teleconference right. over – to the Mu commander, the Fibron commander, and their staffs, and the battalion te- landing team's staff. So those guys are on video, other people on the ship. What's in the confirmation brief? They brief soup to nuts what's going to happen on the mission. The entire timeline to include rehearsals, pre-combat checks, casualty evacuation, and they go through what they call ORM, operational risk management, where they attempt to anticipate what the risks are and are they properly mitigated. And so what would ORM? There'd be a thing on C-State in the ORM. Of note, they briefed the requirement to have safety boats. And so the Com nav surf lant surf pact joint order on AAV ops 
that's Commander Naval Surface Forces, says, if five AVs are in the water, one safety boat required. If six or more in the water, two safety boats required. If the ship does not have two safety boats, an AV can be designated. An empty AV can be designated to be the safety boat. So they brief in the confirmation brief only one safety boat's in the water. There's no discussion in the investigation that says anything was briefed about an empty AV being a second safety boat. So that concludes in 1900. 2200, the company does what they call rock drill, rehearsal of concept. Basically, they walk through the leadership, the events that are going to occur. So that starts at 2200, so it probably ends at about 2300. So now July 30th is, is the incident day. Uh, AV crew Reveille is at 0300, Bravo Company Reveille at 0400. So leadership got about four hours sleep. At 0500, they load the vehicles. At 0530, they conduct their splash checks. And the splash check is the safety brief to the MBAR troops. It's a check of all the hatches that they close properly, that uh, all the equipment on the AV is operating properly, et cetera. There's a checklist that's enclosed. At some point prior to that, they discover that an AV has a maintenance issue. So there's 14 on the ship. This one's got a maintenance issue. It's not going ashore. So now 13 are going ashore. It's also discovered that the safety boat is not operable, won't start. So at this point, they designate an AAV, not an empty AV, an AAV to be the single safety boat. So we're still in violation of the order. And the CO of the ship, so there were two boats on Somerset. Because the COA ship says shift the crane from the inoperable safety boat to the operable safety boat. Not sure, and that may be the issue of why the Somerset was only going to provide one boat, because they only had one crane available to launch the boat. So AV splash at 745. So they're 45 minutes late. They're supposed to splash at 7. 13 AVs in the water. 838, they land on San Clemente. They execute their tactical mission there. As they're retrograding back down to the beach, another AV suffers a maintenance issue. They don't have the ability to repair it ashore. They need parts. They call the Somerset. Somerset does not have parts available. So that AV's got to stay there. They make a decision that they're going to leave four vehicles on the beach. And someone might ask why. Well, it makes perfect sense. They've got to repair the vehicle. They may not have the expertise among the Marines there, or maybe physical labor enough. They need more people. And also, once they get that vehicle repaired, they don't want a single AV in the water to swim back to the ship. They'll have a section of four. So four, LA, four AVs are going to remain behind. Nine are going to go back to the ship. At some point, an LCAC comes to San Clemente. The Marines on the beach thought that the LCAC was bringing them apart. 
Then they discover the LCAC is supposed to load up the stricken vehicle and bring it back. So there's some confusion about this, and the investigation really doesn't dive into any of that. Additional confusion is there were people on the beach, I assume EOTG evaluator type people who are doing the actions on the objective area that are supposed to go back to the ship. Um, it's not clear that that was in the confirmation brief, and there's confusion about accountability of these people, and it's not clear that any of them got any kind of a safety brief or any training on AVs before they got them to go back to the ship. So now we go to our stricken vehicle, 523519. Sometime on the beach, one of the crewmen is doing their routine checks and discovers that the transmission has got low oil level. As he's checking that out, he discovers a fluid leak, which I don't think is transmission. I think that there's water in the vehicle. Finds some loose bolts and tightens the bolts. Then he adds six gallons of oil to the transmission. The investigation says the capacity is 23 gallons. So it's not clear when he added the six gallons that that actually filled the transmission up or was that all the oil they had and they just still had low oil. 1530, the nine vehicles that are going to return are lined up on the beach, and the stricken vehicle is the seventh in that column. They're supposed to do splash checks prior to going ashore. It's not clear that they did because the, the actual checklist could not be located. When they get ready to splash, there are no safety boats in the water at all. although Somerset had a safety boat available. Of note, the Bravo Company commander, the first sergeant, the AV platoon commander, and the AV platoon sergeant all remained on San Clemente. And so, again, you ask, why would that happen? Well, if I'm the company commander, I'm going to stay on San Clemente because I'm not going back to the ship unless I've got all my Marines go back with me. But... This didn't come out in the investigation. I'll just give you my opinion. Either the AV platoon sergeant or platoon commander should have been on that ship-to-shore movement at that point. Because who's in charge when they get out in the water? It's right. not clear. It's not clear in the investigation. So they do splash into the water, nine vehicles heading back. The first section leader is in communication with Somerset. None of the other vehicles have direct comms to Somerset. While they're in the water, an AAV malfunctions. So that first section goes to rig that AAV for tow, and they determine that the nearest safe harbor is San Clemente. So instead of trying to bring it all the way back to Somerset, they're going to go back to the beach. They rig it for tow. At about this time, the Somerset goes to green deck for helo operations so they're getting ready to receive AVs. AVs are in the water and in the meantime they're going to conduct helo ops a key part of that is the rear lookout on somerset is not allowed to be out there when they're doing helo ops so that rear lookout disappears so 
third section of which our vehicle is part of is somewhere between 1500 and 2000 meters from Somerset. The first section, and it's not clear how many vehicles, but I believe at least two, if not three, are headed back to San Clemente. Third section going back to Somerset has no comms with Somerset and is relayed through first section, who's in the middle of doing a towing operation. At 1731, the rear crewman reports that there's water above the deck plates. At this time, he does not have direct comm on the intercom system with the vehicle commander or the driver. So he moves from the rear of the vehicle to the front of the vehicle, right behind the engine compartment, so that he can talk directly to the vehicle commander. All right. Could you explain to everybody what the deck plate is? So just the floorboard of the AAV. Okay. At some point, 1731 or later, the driver notes that the voltage in the vehicle is down. When the voltage goes down, the radio is degraded and the bilge pumps are degraded. Right. So the bilge pumps aren't able to pump the volume of water out. The driver, because his intercom is now not working, doesn't tell anyone that. In the AV SOP, once water is at boot ankle level, which to me means it's above the deck plates, they're supposed to go to their emergency distress signals. Daylight, it's the November flag he's supposed to wave. Nighttime, it's a star cluster. Pyrotechnic, he's supposed to light off. Daytime is optional to send off the distress signal. And he's supposed to begin evacuating troops at that point. Water is at boot ankle level. 1731. At 1753, some AVs, which I assume are probably from first section, are starting to recover on Somerset. So that means Somerset is no longer conducting helo ops, but it's not clear that the rear lookout was posted. So now our AV has been in distress for 23 minutes, 22 minutes. At 1755 is the first time someone notices our stricken vehicle waving the November flag. So 24 minutes later. Between 1755 and 1800, two vehicles that were about to re-embark Somerset turn around to go back to aid the stricken vehicle. So it's not clear the distance. They said they were about 200 meters from Somerset. Our stricken vehicle is about 1,500 meters from Somerset. So they're more than a click away. At the same time, they request safety boats go into the water. Eventually, the water rises to the bench seats. Hey, Will, can I just uh, so so at no time are those how do safety boats work when you're egressing to the ship? 
I assume so the safety boat. Yeah. So what normally happens is the AV platoon commander is generally in charge of this operation in direct comms with the ship. The ship determines that all conditions are set. Right. Sea state's appropriate. The well deck is working properly. Um, any other factors are not involved. Ballast and, the, and the safety boats are in the water. And typically, we wouldn't splash off the beach till the safety boats had near approached the surf zone. Exactly. The safety boats will not operate in the surf zone. They're prohibited from going yeah. to attempt to help anyone in the surf zone because basically you'll just end up killing everyone in the boat too. Right. So we would basically get a visual on the safety boat. The AV platoon commander would have calm with the safety boat in the ship and say safety boats are sighted uh, in, a, in position, the CEO of the ship or the acting, uh, you know, officer on the ship would say, convince splash and they would go out. So not sure what happened with that on the beach, but at this point they request safety boats go in the water. And, water and, and, and there's no, there's no indication that there was any conversation between the beach and the Somerset about, you know, let me know when conditions are set so I can splash. It, 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 you, I couldn't parse that far down in the investigation. I don't see that anywhere okay. in there. I think it's a deficiency, okay. to be so, honest, in the investigation. Right. So I, I didn't see it either. I just wondered if, if you saw something I didn't. No. Because, again, for us, for us, it, it's as fundamental as requesting for a range to go hot. Exactly. It, right? Is, is the corpsman yeah. there? Is a safety vehicle there? Right? Do you have good comm? Do you have backup comm? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, you can go hot. Yeah. Exactly. Think, captain of the ship, he's the one who decides anybody who comes on that ship anyway, and that's really a, that's a manifestation. You know? Got it. All right. You know? Go ahead. Will. He's the one who makes the decision. Right. So in, in the investigation, timeline breaks down here. So at 1,800, these two vehicles turn around. Sometime between 1,800 and the sinking, these events are happening. Uh, water rises to the bench seat. At that point, the vehicle commander tells the crewmen in the back, the AV crewmen, to tell the Marines to drop their gear and to open the hatch to be able to egress. So while this is going on, the Marines are struggling to turn the handles, which are on the ceiling of the AV, which opens the hatch. There's no emergency lights working. The chem lights that are supposed to be attached to those hatches are not there. Marines are using their cell phones to try and figure out how to open this hatch. As the the two vehicles that had turned around prior to getting back on Somerset, they have now arrived on the scene. As they get there, one of them runs into the stricken vehicle. And I think that the investigation says that this had no material impact on the vehicle itself, but it just, you get the sense of confusion. They get the hatch open. The crewman gets out and he's able to get one of the Embark Marines out with him. The vehicle now has gone broadside to the waves. And at that moment, a wave comes over the top, completely fills a compartment, 
and the vehicle sinks in, they said, about a minute. And in the, it doesn't say in the findings of fact when it sank, but in the timeline it says it sank at 1815. Eventually, the vehicle commander, who's riding in the top in an open hatch, that crewman, three embarked Marines get out. The driver of the vehicle floats to the top sometime thereafter. And so that, as I count it, is six. And I believe there were 16. Eight Marines killed, one corpsman killed. So I don't know if I know how to count right, but there's a Marine in there that either wasn't there or got out as well. And I couldn't matrix through and figure it out. Uh, that's in the first, I want to say, 70 or 80 findings of fact out of 300. And it may have been more than that. And the rest of it goes into the search and rescue operation, which is not really germane to what we're talking about. So key points, emergency really occurs at 1731. Nobody really notices it till 1755. Vehicle sinks at 1815. So 44 minutes from water over the deck plates till it going down. <clears throat> All right. What I want to do now is uh, will are there, are there anything else outside the timeline that that, that you want to you want to put in here before we start talking about findings of fact for the the rest of us that, that break squelch? Yeah, I didn't. I I read the entire finding of fact, the endorsements, and a bunch of the other stuff. Right. There's a series of findings of fact after they recovered the vehicle, uh, and they did what they call limited technical inspection. And, you know, I think as Jeff alluded to earlier, um, the vehicle was simply not put together properly, uh, which I believe is probably some crew error and probably some maintenance uh, error at AVA Battalion. Because some things like the cooling tower, you know, the radiator is not attached properly. I don't think that that's a crew level evolution uh there were uh drain plugs that were missing there were other pieces of equipment improperly assembled that led to significant leaks uh coming into the vehicle and that's all in the findings of fact as well all right um so let me open up uh timmy in terms of findings of fact that that got your attention that broke squelch I I go right to number eighty two where the which states the AAV platoon commander stated he assumed the USS SOM would have safety boats in the water for movement of the AAVs. Uh, that, that that says to me everything you need to know. Assumed, I will and and Jeff have gone over how how you do this kind of evolution. That jumps right out of at me, and I and I want to to, to defer to the two experts for the rest. By adding, but only adding, what's not in the findings of fact is disturbing, and that is the Navy's side of this of this issue. But I, I'll defer to the experts. Jeff, Will, thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, to me, I always thought it was written in stone. It was another flat ass rule that the uh, ship controls your movement when you uh, when you're going shore to ship, and they you don't go until they tell you you can. And not only that, like Will says, the, the safety boats show up outside the surf zone and they kind of, you know, corral you back. And uh, if there's issues, and a lot of times there are, 
it's all I can't believe the amount of dead calm in this thing with the uh, with the vehicles. It's almost like you you shouldn't splash vehicles that the calm is down. You know what I mean? Let alone uh, you know come back to the ship. They should never have left. And uh, the uh, the idea that uh, here comes the first section leader, and now he's going to be talking to the ship. While the uh, is the platoon commander monitoring that? I mean, I, I didn't see that in the investigation. It's just not mentioned. You know, is he involved at all? Because uh, you know, it's just uh, it's it's just. It's just a, a sense of this isn't really that big of a deal, but it was a big deal. And they started having other, you know, misfortunes. I mean, the AV going down in the first section, and then they got to tow that. And then they decide, half, you know, that they're going to bring it back. I mean, uh, it's just uh, – and, and yet because of the shitty comms, there's no supervision from the shore where you got the company commander and you got the AV platoon commander. You know, it's just uh, – that alone right there just shows not so much AV problems as, you know, bad judgment, bad judgment. And then the, the AV uh, crew chief of the actual AV in question, I just, I'll tell you what, ankle deep, boot top deep, you, you got to get out of that vehicle. That, they don't come back from that. You know, and that's uh, absolutely written in the SOP. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right there. I mean, um, and then the and then I'll tell you, and I'm not just saying that we were great. I thought we were experts at the troops, fucking opening those hatches and dogging them down because it's the first thing you did when you, you know, every time you you get out of the ship and you plunge into the water, whether it's coming off an LST, an LPD, or an L, you know, or an LSD, there's a little feeling like we may not come back up, you know. And then when you bob up, you're like, okay, we're good to go. Hatches come open and they stay open, and the AV guys don't like that. A lot of times, you know, you gotta, you gotta say no. We want these fucking hatches open, and because if something goes wrong, you know, that's the f- first thing that's gonna kill you, not being able to get out. And and like, th- they only got one half of the hatch open, the way I understand it from the investigation. Yeah, one. Yeah. That's one, not one, enough. One side. That, yep. That's not enough in the dark. You know, and the vehicle's already like you know thigh deep with up to the bench, you know, with water. That means it's going down. Um, you know, it's just. Uh, All right, let me let, let me read. Yeah, I give you two things. Oh, sorry. Let me read two findings of fact, um, and it, and it deals with the safety boats, right? And it deals with so so coming to shore in the morning, they designate. I can't remember which number A V as a as a safety boat but it has embarked troops in it which is which, which you're not violation. right and they have right. more than they have more than what what was the the guidance was more than five you need two boats right they only have, they only have one going back finding a fact 82 the av platoon commander stated that he assumed the uss somerset would have safety boats in the water for the movement of the avs back to the ship because they had never told him the safety boats would not be in the water. However, this assumption was never confirmed, and the presence of safety boats from the USS Somerset uh, for the movement back to the ship was never coordinated. Finding a fact 83, a safety boat was available on the USS Somerset at the time the AV splashed back from San Clemente Island, but it was never requested. So those yeah. those are funny effects, oh, eighty two and eighty three. 
They put two of them in the water when it was too late to do anything for anybody. And this, this leads to the two things that stuck out to me in findings of fact. 14 total vehicles. Six of them were casualties. Yeah. Two going mm-hmm. out to the ship, one on the ship, one on San Clemente, one on the movement back, and the one that sank. Six out of 14. That's a systemic issue. Yeah. And the second thing that stood out of me is a lack in the findings of fact of what in the hell was going on on Somerset. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I got to exactly. tell you something. If there's another investigation that's coming, it needs to be a joint investigation, Navy Marine Corps. And the, the activities. How the fuck the can you do this investigation and not have that? I mean, yeah. The competence is a mystery to me, man. Yeah, the competence of the CO, the CIC, and the first lieutenant on the Somerset. Because if the AV platoon commander assumes, first of all, they do the confirmation brief, the CO of the ship is ignorant of the ComNav surf pack surf land order, i.e., he's ignorant of what his boss told him. This yeah. is what you're supposed to do. He's a CO. You know, he or she, I don't even know. Hey, and let me just tell you for the Navy, ComNav surf pack orders. That is the Bible that you live and die by. I know because I guarded nuclear weapons under those son of a bitches. Man, if it's it says you shit in your left boot at this time, you better be doing that stuff because let me tell you, that's the way that's the way that shit works. Well, the stunning thing to me was the lack of uh, ownership by the Somerset of the ship to shore movement and the shore to ship movement because I sat through a million fucking confirmation briefs, especially in my last job. And the CEO of any ship that's launching landing craft, whether it be AV, it's usually AVs, or, you know, LCACs, if the captain of the ship says the sea state is too dangerous to, to launch those vehicles, they don't go. Even if the Fibron commander overrules them, he can't overrule them. He won't even try. The captain of the ship, and if the water's like placid, doesn't matter. As long as he says it's sea state four and sea state three is the max, they're not going. Either coming back or going out. Okay, the, okay. So this guy that seems like the Somerset was not even involved in that. Okay, so let me ask. So where is the BLT S three in in all of this? This is this is an item on his execution checklist, and the safety boat's got to be a part of that, right? Even if it's right, and and then where is the the Mew Opso. Nobody catches this, and it's and it's not a small fucking deal, right? It's a big fucking yeah, well, deal. Ben, remember, Mac, you're right. It's not a small deal, but this is the first time these guys ever worked together. It's payment, right? You know? Right? No, so I, that, I I got the, that, Jeff. The whole but point of payment is to iron that shit out. I know, but we're all watching this shit, and nobody, the ship, the Mew, the Mew Ops Center, the Elfock, right, the Landing Force Operations Center, right, mm-hmm. the BLT. Nobody in, and again, what I did in my life was I did operation center shit, and you're watching this shit like a hawk. Yeah, I, I would say in this that that part of my, on the, on the Marine side of this is BLT-3 or MU-3, part of your execution checklist is not ship activities to include launching safety boats. I might have on there... Well, part of the confirmation brief by the ship is going to be when they're going to when they're going to yes. go to uh, 
Set condition one alpha. Condition right. one alpha for AV. Options. When they're going to launch safety boats? When they're going to ballast down? Right, mm-hmm. and that's and and just so everybody knows, that's a brevity code, right? We are in Indiana right now. That means all the conditions that we've talked about in the confirmation brief are set. You know, the Somerset called Indiana. You go now. Yeah, and I would say the fact that they briefed that they were going to put one safety boat in the water and that the CO of the ship and the Fibron commander and the Fibron ops officer listened to that confirmation brief and didn't have a problem with that, that needs to be part of a joint investigation. They are in violation of a Navy order when they do that. And then that they allowed Marines to return back shore to ship without having safety boats in the water. That is a Navy issue. The Marine AV platoon commander should not have allowed it or should have at least asked the question, Somerset, you said we're green to come back. I don't see the safety boats. Yeah. Right? But he apparently was not at the beach with the launch. It's not clear who was in charge, et cetera. It's – some people might call these Swiss cheese things. They're not. These are – yeah, the AV, he's talking the safety boats as much as he is the ship once you guys are splat. Exactly. I so, just don't know how everybody misses that point, which is not an well, insignificant Here's how point. they miss it. Here's how they miss it on the green side. Don't know what the BLTS3's experience was, right. the BLT commander, the MUS3, or the MU commander. If none of those guys had been in a track company before, that shit went on over there, right? That was your business over there. I had a little bit of experience in helos. I got no experience in rubber boats. As a BLT three, I I learned about right. You know, the ship's got to ballast down. Here's how long it takes. Here's how long it takes to launch boats. Here's how long it takes to recover boats. I didn't know the intricacies of any of that crap, but I knew. And I'm making stuff up now because I don't remember. Oh, yeah, when they say they're going to launch, that means it's going to take them about 20-odd minutes. You know, it takes 15 minutes to ballast down. So I could sort of work my mind around a timeline for those kinds of things. But they knew what the safety procedures were in coordination with the Navy in regard to boats, what the position was, yada, yada. That was never part of my visibility. Um, but that's the Navy's job. Uh-huh. That's They are... Again, I want to see it in the in the investigation, but the CEO of the ship putting Amtrak's in the water without the required number of safety boats and the Fibron commander allowing it. So that's a Navy commander and a Navy captain in direct violation of a three or a four stars order on what is required. Right. And they're either negligent or incompetent. To me, in terms of brevity calls, and I mean when we're gonna when we're gonna splash. You guys talked about those those safety boats coming to right the break line of the water. So so we're getting ready to splash. Aren't I waiting for a call that says safety boats in the water? No. No. The A V platoon commander is. From yeah. but the BLT is not. The BLT is waiting for a call that Well that who tells the A V platoon commander what is he on? Independent study? Splash when you want to? No, no, no. Yeah, He's in company commander says, hey, yeah, that's a raid they were doing. That means they're going to – it's part of the extraction. 
They're not going to fuck around. And it's not going to be the BLT commander or anybody else. That's part of a raid. It's going to be the company commander. But says, what I'm saying, Mac, that's not part of the BLT's visibility. The BLT right. is we hit the beach, we hit the objective, we exploited the objective, we're all accounted for, we're back at the beach, we're launching. And, you know, they may have – some battalion commanders have more shit on their execution checklist than others. That's – you know, some U commanders insist on more shit. And so that may be manifested there, but it may not be. Right. Yeah, but, Jeff, I don't, I don't ever remember reporting to anyone those details. No. Those things are occurring on an administrative channel. Well, I work for a guy in a MU who was very detail-oriented. We both know that guy, you know. So, I mean, at one time, as a joke, the boat company made a hugely lengthy confirmation brief and thinking they would show how ridiculous the quest for detail was, and the guy loved it. And that we were stuck with that, you know, for the next, uh, you know, so. I, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't I, even I no, I never get, reported that. Okay. I, I, it just, to me, I just find it hard to believe that, and again, I'm not a Mew guy, but I've done a lot yeah, of. This is all, this should be in the ship's part. Right, but I think yeah. I should be tracking it. Like, I got that, but I think I should be tracking it both in the LFOC and the BL, as in the BLT, you know, COC. That, yeah, it might be happening between those guys, but I'm tracking it. And when I don't hear that brevity code get called, and I don't, nobody confirms safety boats are in the water. Then the next event doesn't happen. It just seems but, like know, to me a pretty big deal. I understand. Yeah, I understand the traffic. Who yeah, it goes yeah. to? But Mac, the checklist for the ship to get ready is probably a hundred items long. Just I, and I don't about, give. And I don't give a shit about ninety nine of them. I give a shit about for me for my tracks to move. I mean that brevity code is a big deal. Well. I'll tell you what the navy the navy from the Somerset was probably there was probably a line of communication to the CIC at the Fibron saying we're having issues with the Marines getting back, and that's where that might you know there might be some. But uh, I know I spent a lot of time in my life as a Mu three running over to CIC you know the Navy uh, Combat Center and finding out shit. Especially if we had an issue you know recovering stuff. Yeah, but Jeff, you wouldn't have been over there. And you wouldn't no, have expected anyone to report that they launched the safety boats. You would expect a report that said conditions are set for the return of AAVs. Yes. And if there was an issue, then you would go over there. Then it would come up. And that would and in that in that in that brevity code word, conditions are set would be the the, the safety boats are in the water. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I have to tell you something else. You know, I, I didn't used to like this mission because I didn't think it was realistic. But the VBSS mission really ex pushes. Ex explain that. It's a, it's a it's it's a basically what it is is a ship takedown by the Embark Marines of the MU on a ship that's been seized by nefarious people, either pirates or terrorists or whatever. And uh, the VBSS stands for Visit Board Search and Seizure, and it's a you know, but it really means you're going to take down a ship by helo or by rubber boat or by both simultaneously. And that caught the, the fact you had to do that would usually cause a lot of extra coordination between the green side and the blue side on stuff that, you know, was relevant in, to uh, the ops that were the Somerset was doing, i.e. boats in the water doing something in conjunction with the Marines. And uh, that type of stuff drove 
you know, the, uh, the, the mutual essay that both the Fibron and the Mew would get. But they hadn't gotten to that shit yet on, on the 15th Mew at this point in their training. So, you know what I'm saying? So they're, to them, uh, I could see where they're like, That's, this is our problem. Or, you know, why should we, you know, why should we let the Fibron know that we're, you know, we got four dead AVs bobbing around in the, uh, you know, in the, no, the, no, in the water. No, no. You know? I think that that would have happened. But, Mac, your point that, that the, someone in the BLT or the Mew should have known that the safety boats were weren't in the water. I would disagree with you. There's no, no, sets of responsibilities that they should report conditions are set. There's a hundred things that lead up to that that is their responsibility. You're just waiting here. Condition one alpha for AV ops. And that's safety boats. That's ballast down. That's all that shit. Yeah. That's what you're expecting. Because otherwise, put yourself at the at the uh, RCT ops office. You know, you're is uh, uh, Alpha Company ready? Maybe there's a brevity code for that, but you're not interested in that first fire team conducted. You know, did first fire team conduct their pre combat check and inspection? No, that's that's a subset of a unit that's reporting to you. It's their responsibility to do those things to be ready. Yeah, I'm struggling with that though. Well, I'm think str- about I'm, the flight deck. Think right. about the flight deck. All right, they got to do a fod walk down. They got to do this. They got to do that. They got to do all that crap. Right. As the Mu S three, you're interested in the flight deck is supposed to be ready to conduct air operations at 1800. The brevity code is Green Bay. When they say Green Bay, all those subsets are in. Every single one of them is critical. Right. But it's what are you going to do about it anyway? <laughs> what are you, you going to do about it anyway? What yeah. are you going to do about what? If those safety boats aren't in the water? Yeah. I think you. I, I think the ops guys turned to and they solved that. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, you can't, I mean, uh, okay, so now you know the safety boats aren't in the water. So then what? You go to the Fibron commander and say, hey, make your guys put the safety boats in the water? No, we're going to yeah, stop mean, the tracks from splashing. Yeah, we're, they're not going anywhere. But, yeah, and that's it. If they reported conditions are set, yeah, you have and to the, accept If they're that. lying, how are you going to know? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there you go. They reported that they're set. They but didn't do their job. Right. For some reason, that's not highlighted in any of the in, in investigation or the endorsements. I thought, that there, I thought it said a safety boat was available on Somerset at the time the AV splashed. Well, this is fine. In fact, 83 back from San Clemente Island, but it was never requested. Exactly. So, so they're in violation. So the the in in the confirmation brief, the AAV platoon would internally source safety vehicles going out and coming back. That's supposed to be like a, there's an emergency with the uh, you know with the Navy boat that they can't the, do too. The confirmation brief wasn't clear. And what they briefed was in violation of the orders anyhow. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where the incompetence or the negligence of the CEO of the ship and the Fibron commander come in. They briefed. We're only launching one boat. Well, someone there should have said, the surf land, surf pack order says you got to have two. Oh, okay. How are we going to mitigate that? Oh, someone else is going to bring a boat over. Or we're going to designate an AAV. Yeah. And then that gives the BLT commander 
and the mute commander an opportunity to bring in their judgment. What's the order say? It's got to be two, and you only got one on Somerset. You're going to have an AAV do it. What are the other options? I don't like those options. I want two in the water. Hey, they hey, never how, did it. How aware were you two of that requirement as, as lieutenants? 100%. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would think. That's what I would think. I would... I don't know that it was a surf land order. I just know there was two in the water every time we were out. That's of the right. Ocean. And I knew yeah. that I knew the one in five thing, and then two, two for five and 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 more. You know, because uh, well, we were on the LST is a real intimate thing, but it was like a, it was like you had these flat ass rules, and that was one of them. They, you didn't put your toe in that fucking water until the captain of the LST said, "Yeah, come on out." Because sometimes he said, "No, don't come out," and we were stuck on the beach. Yeah, intimate. It wasn't intimate. We were packed like fucking sardine. But the same thing when I was on LSD later. You know, um, you know the uh, it was, uh, and they took ownership of it. You know, this is our shit. Yeah, and it's interesting too because when you did AEV operations, the first lieutenant was yeah. a very active presence in the well deck. Okay, hold yeah. on, hold on. Explain to everybody what a first lieutenant is in, the first in, on lieutenant a ship. On in the, the ship is in charge of the deck department. Uh, and so when you're launching and recovering vehicles in the well deck, that's a significant operation of the deck department. Yeah, these are these are they're called the bosun's mates. These guys are, you know, when you do underway replenishment, these guys are out moving lines. They are the they are the grunts of the ship. They they work the ship. That's what that's the, what these guys do. The the first lieutenant again was because you know the AVs go out and then they all get chained down to the deck and they got to be properly positioned. And the first lieutenant is out there. Until you've done it a few times, then you know exactly where each AV goes. Mm-hmm. And you got to turn the things around. And then you got to pump the water out. And you can't let troops out of the vehicles till all the water's out. And then you unload in a certain way. And the first lieutenant of the ship is up there with a fucking bullhorn and a whistle. And he's involved in this. I can't believe that this guy, the, the how how unconcerned like almost indifferent than the, you know, the Somerset was to this stuff because the, every other AV, uh, you know, uh, deployment I did, man, it was just, they were in that, you know, they were into that part, ship to shore, shore to ship, you know, they were really So into you it. would expect somebody from the Somerset CIC as they're going down the execution checklist saying, hey, confirm with them that they have their safety vehicles. You exactly. Know. Right. Okay. And again, I, I just, again, I just find it that neither the CIC on the Somerset, right, the um, the Mu COC or the BLT COC, nobody addresses that in this. And again, I, I, I understand that, yeah, well, they wouldn't, you know, conditions are set and all that. But again, um, I, I, it's just. Again, they briefed. Right. That they were going to violate the order. They didn't say that, right. but they. And but and again, even but even that, will if that's what we brief. I mean, I got it. But this this son of a these operations, and and we know because we've done a bunch of them. 
right in Iraq and Afghanistan, they're not on autopilot, man. You no. are right. You are you are pounding it through windows and crevices and stuffing it through, and and shit's breaking down, and and and, and you're towing shit, right? And and this okay. guy's not going to be so there on time. And, and you're findings of fact. The leadership of the company, to include the AV platoon commander and the company commander, were were on less than four hours sleep, and. They did what they thought was a hard part of the mission, the actions on the objective area. And now they're on the beach. And this has turned into a quasi-administrative movement that doesn't have adult leadership sitting right on top of it. They didn't pass command down. It's not clear that they passed command to anybody. And it's not clear that the people that had command were competent to have that command to know. Again, Tim points out, when the AV platoon commander said he assumed, I, I, this is now some human factors have gotten involved here. Do you think four hours of sleep is significant here? Yes. How many times did you operate on four hours of sleep or less? I got it. I got it. But I still think it's significant because it's the first time they've done this. Okay. All right. I, I, I would say, I mean... As a le- it's not an excuse. Right. As a it's leader, a if you can't function like that, good fucking luck, man. I wonder about those guys in 2019, Mac, that you talked about, um, that you know, we're trying to find information about where the AV went down at Onslow Beach. They all got relieved. Huh? They all got relieved. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened, but I know this. The, the, no- the investigation commended the activity of the crew uh-huh. because the crew did right. And some, they were in Sea State Four. I mean, there's like six and eight foot waves. Yeah, that's they. A- they did right, and then they all got relieved because they went through, and all their procedures were fucked up. Yeah, for the fact that they had to be heroic. So. Yes, I, I, I will. I will. I will for you that from Second Marine Division and get that to you. Hopefully, hopefully before next week, so we can we can put this mosaic together. Um, any other findings of fact that break squelch? Um, we're getting <laughs> we're getting on two hours. Um, but again, I know how many people listen to this. I know how many people have have reached out to me and say, "Hey, I appreciate you guys breaking out your secret Dakota rings and explaining some of this stuff, and then highlighting the stuff that doesn't make sense to you." Um, well, any other findings of fact, Jeff? With me. Like will like the. You know the uh, the helo ops going on simultaneously with this thing, and could the uh, could the Somerset have gotten closer to the beach? Um, I don't know. You know, would have taken a skipper who was involved, right? Yeah. yeah. The other, um, I want to say the thing that that I wanted to bring up was something in General Heckle's endorsement. So if you give me a second to find that. Um, I wanted to uh I wanted to read something out of that. Um give me one second. Um couple things. Um recommendation ten. This is from General Heckle. He's the one map commanding general, Lieutenant General Heckle. I agree with the investigating officer's recommendation to change reference B to state, if an AV is used as a safety boat, it must have no embarked personnel. This change should be made immediately. Additionally, 
AAV collisions noted in this investigation, one that occurred in the surf zone during the training event at Camp Pendleton, and one that occurred while AAV-14 maneuvered close to the mishap AAV in preparation to transfer personnel, close parenthetical, raised questions about the maneuverability of AAVs and whether AAVs is a good option to serve as a safety boat. In the longer term, I recommend that the Assault Amphibian Community and Training and Education Command formally consider this question and what other options may meet that requirement. Rigid hull inflatable boats and combat rubber rating craft are certainly swifter and more maneuverable. An inflatable life raft attached to an AV and the amphibious combat vehicle is another option to consider. That's recommendation 10. So I want to throw that out. And then uh, number 11, his recommendation. I assess the general population of ground vehicles and associated training and safety standards to be inadequate. There should be a concerted Marine Corps effort to ensure ground vehicle safety procedures and checks are conducted in a manner more akin to the vigorous aviation procedures and checks. In short, there can be no laxity in regard to safety checklists of any kind. With this this will be a focus of effort within one map, one map, and its subordinate units, including Muse. So, I, I, I when I read those, um, the finding of fact that says that um, I can't remember which section had conducted their pre-splash checks, and there, there a card that has to be submitted to the section leader. He said we did it. He just didn't have the cards, you know. And um, normally when somebody says that, it means, you know, everybody gave them the thumbs up and they were good and they they didn't actually do it. I don't know that to be a fact, but that's my experience when things like that happen. So I'd just be curious. Well, yeah, there's a reason they have those cards because exactly that reason. Exactly, right? Because somebody said you've got to have the cards because we're gun decking this shit, right? Gun decking, for those of you who don't know what it is, it means we're faking it. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I would say on, on number 10, AV as a safety boat should be in extremis only. Yes. You put two safety boats in the Navy in the water, and one of them has an engine go out in midstream in the operation, then you designate an AV. How you transfer people in and out of there, I have no idea. But I would but say, and, and I would extreme. say this, Will, and, and that AV cannot be part of the operation. Yeah, and the, the problem is the only time I would ever do that is in extremis. Right, and so that's what I'm never, saying. Right, that it yeah. cannot have troops it's, and it cannot be part of the subsequent operation. And if Somerset, you know, I've been thinking about it, uh, they said the the one boat, the engine went out, so they shifted the crane to the other boat. So that may be the reason they didn't want to launch two boats because they would have had to do an extra crane operation, which would have been more time which would have meant some son of a bitch would have had to get up earlier, which meant can, the whole ship goes to one alpha that much earlier. Well, fuck you. That's your job. Yeah. And they put two safety – they put two boats in the water at 1830. But, of course, then everything was OBE. Yeah. But, uh, got, yeah. How do they do that? I mean, they just, yeah. just did two crane ops, right? So. Yeah. And number 11, um, you know, uh, n- number 11 is interesting, right? Um, and again, so, so what, what, what General Huckle talked about is, you know, aviation community, um, 
very rigid when it comes to what are called NATOPS, which is the by-the-book procedures where you start an aircraft, all the different things you do in a cockpit. You know, the NATOPS manual is the way you do it, right? And so he's contrasting the ground safety community with the aviation community and saying it's inadequate. Yeah, and and it's interesting to me because when I went to LAR, I had no experience uh, with that at all. And um, there were obvious, uh, you know, daily inspections and things like that that had to be done uh, that got done. And the way we figured out that people didn't do them is they fucking their vehicle didn't work. Um, And so when we tidied that up within a couple of weeks when we were there and and I was talking to Mac earlier about this, you know, we got there in, uh, late February and we were doing a mission in the middle of the night in July and almost no notice. And I had my MVGs on just watching an LAV company in a force recon platoon, uh, going through pre-combat checks and inspections before we launched out and listening on the radio. And I, as I watched, I realized these guys are very, very good at this. Now we'd been there for four or five months. Um, should there be, you know, the, the procedures are all in the manual somewhere. Yeah. Should the next step be, you know, designation? And, and you know, interesting, another, another thing that comes to my mind, uh, we got to Iraq, the division had a problem keeping hold of its gear. Losing rifles, losing NVGs. Um, that, that happened during a march-up. And... Uh, one of the things we implemented in the battalion was the SOP was uh, vehicle commander inspects uh, everyone on the vehicle for your serialized gear right after Reveille and right before sundown. So basically stand two and stand two. And we had a laminated sheet attached to the back hatch of every vehicle. So that vehicle commander went through and initialed. Had all his NVGs, rifles, etc. And I was a vehicle commander on my vehicle, so I didn't do it. So my staff sergeant did it. And he came up every morning after the sun came up and before the sun went down. Sir, where's your rifle? Where's your pistol? Where's your NVG? And one of the things I did as a battalion commander is I moved around. I'd approach a vehicle. I'd open that back hatch and see had that stuff been inventoried. Um, so that was a, you know, a jury-rigged solution the idea that some of that stuff could be more rigid people say oh it's you know it's common it's not complicated it's not hard it becomes part of the sop uh and 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 let me tell you and i believe good units do that yeah the checklist manifesto right allows you to use your brain on other things yeah as opposed to this mundane stupidity that you must do don't think about it follow the checklist yeah you know general heckle is really um impressive with this whole thing uh, well let me tell you I, I i met him a year and a half ago didn't know yeah. didn't know him and he has done nothing but impress me yeah. uh and again i didn't know him from shit um and uh and so you know to include reading the things that he, that, that he's written all right um Final thoughts relative to findings of fact, Timmy. I, I don't. I don't have any final final thoughts about that. I have some thoughts about how they do go about doing these investigations, which I'll I'll hold until a later date. 
Okay. Or, right. or well, you, just, just so what we'll do next week is 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 kind of um, is as we our thoughts on the implications of this investigation, right? Uh, the implications for commanding officers, the implications for the Marine Corps, you know, and and, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, so, all right, and then I want to talk. Uh, so, thoughts on that. Uh, thoughts on, okay, we'll go around. We're coming around a second time, Timmy, so don't, don't fall asleep. Jeff, um, uh, final thoughts on findings of fact. Well, um, uh, you know, I, I pretty much expressed everything I, you know, I've, I thought were the priority, you know, uh, you know, impressions I had. All right. Well, no, I don't have anything else, Mac. Yeah, my only my my only thought is when you go through it, it's just it's just truly disheartening to read uh, the number of mistakes, the lack of supervision, and and it's over and over and over and over, and it's just it's very disheartening um, the level of professionalism among Marine Corps leaders, right? Staff NCOs and officers. Who you know, mothers and fathers all around this country. You know what? What is special trust and confidence? I used to give this class at IOC and 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 talk about when I did my decision making class. Um, and th- that that term, special trust and confidence, in, that's uh, in our uh, commissioning document and uh, and our promotion warrants. Yes, and uh, I'd ask the lieutenants, you know. Where does special trust and confidence come from? And they, you know, somebody, oh, sir, Congress. I said, no, fuck Congress. And they thought, man, IOC is really cool, man. This guy just said, fuck Congress, right? And uh, and then somebody would always say, with the mothers and fathers, the wives, the kids of the Marines that we lead. And I would say, fucking bingo. That's heavy special trust and confidence. It's not a building in D.C. It's those people put their husband, their son, their brother in your hands. And you've got to be worthy of that. And it's 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 a heavy burden. And when you think about that and you read this, it just it just kicks your fucking ass that this is this happens in the United States Marine Corps. And so with that said, um, uh, another development is uh is Lieutenant General um, Sam Monday has been named to lead a second Marine Corps investigation. The Navy is doing their separate safety investigation. But uh, Lieutenant General Sam Monday has been named to look at uh, actions what uh, before the, the MU was formed and uh, also uh, actions subsequent to that. Um, thoughts on that, Timmy? Any thoughts on this second investigation? Well, when we first started talking about this, I mentioned that I thought that they had assigning a colonel as the investigating officer indicated that he was they they weren't going to go looking above, and I was and I was wrong. Um, having reflected upon that, I uh, I can't speak, I, and I say I'm wrong because if Will Constantini or Jeff Kenny had done this investigation, the, I think that we I think our listeners understand that everybody who was culpable would have gotten two to the chest to include the Navy. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, regarding General Monday being uh, assigned to it, the last time I 
talked to General Monday. He was in 10th grade, and I was a senior in high school, so I don't have a whole lot of perspective on him. He was my neighbor, though. I do know his, I do know his sister well. She was more my age. But he, uh, he, comes, from a, uh, he comes from a long line of, of, of incredibly competent officers, and I hope that somebody on his staff is listening to the show because we've just given him the notes that he needs to look at. Got it. Got it. Jeff, thoughts on a, a second investigation? Well, I mean, you know, you're of two minds in this, aren't you? I mean, first of all, you're like the good, the the optimistic part is this will be an honest investigation where more, you know, it'll be a more accurate assigning of of appropriate responsibility to those who need it. But the but the other part of me says apparently, like you read off some of those comments by the families. Apparently, you know, it could be that, uh, and General Mundy is a good man. You know, I know him too, you know. He's got a very good reputation, solid guy. But uh, the other possibility is, okay, it wasn't enough to feed the beast to fire the battalion commander and the mute commander. So we got we to gotta do something to these star wearers, and meaning uh, the previous MEF commander, the former division commander, because they've all turned over. And, you know, maybe even more. But uh, So I'm hoping that it's A, not B, you know. Yeah, well, uh, what, Congressman John Garamendi from California, he, um, he um, yeah, he says, hey, it's not enough. It's not enough. Will, thoughts on a second investigation? Yeah, I, I mean, you, you read this investigation and you can't read it because it's, it's 1,700 pages long. Um, but but I think there is a gap there, and th- and that should have been recognized. Um, you know when when it when it first got to the three star level. Um, I don't know. I, I think that that probably should have been recognized then, because now going back is uh, you know. Order, counter-order, disorder. And, you know, as Jeff so eloquently put it, how is this going to be interpreted? Mm. And what does that mean in the future for everything? Well, let me ask you, what does it it mean? I mean, the F-18, KC-130 investigation went down the same road, right? First one comes out, and then then we convene a second one, you know, under somebody much more senior, Right, and then heads roll. So, I mean, does the Marine Well, Corps- that's the thing. This investigation is interesting, too, because the investigating officer in there notes that initially he didn't take sworn statements from people because he didn't think that there was, there was going to be punitive implications. And then he recognized that there was going to be potentially punitive implications. And at that point, early on in the investigation, someone could have reoriented this thing so that we're not going through this order, counter-order, disorder that we're going to go through now. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is, is when, when, when you have justice delayed, God damn, I, I get it. It takes a while. It takes a while to compile 1,700 pages. But, you know, we're coming up on a year. No, no, we're coming. It's nine months. 
of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and again, if if the issues were recognized that this didn't comprehensively cover what was going on, did we only recognize it because the families made us recognize it? What does that say about yeah. senior leadership here? Or that congressmen recognized it and we couldn't recognize it ourselves? I mean, there's yeah, yeah. four old, fat, bald, retired guys that recognized it. I happen to be one of them. <laughs> I, I don't think it's possible yep. to walk to walk on a ship as an investigating officer after having nine fatalities and not be reading people their rights. I, I don't understand how you even think that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't and even that, I don't even understand how we start there. Yeah, it sounds and, like and I mean, again, uh, no, I mean no, it, no sworn statement from the CEO of the ship. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, the it, commander. From any activity on the ship. Well, that's the first thing we started this thing. Yeah. The, the, the lack of the blue side, you know? Yeah. So let me ask you this. So uh, explain to me who decides who does this investigation. Because, you know, to me, if I'm sitting here and I've been in the Marine Corps and I just watched the F-18 KC-130 fiasco where we investigate it once and we have to investigate it again, it's pretty fresh in my mind. I'm saying, hey, look, let me tell you what we're not going to do here again, boys and girls. We're not going to run two of these. We're not doing that again in a Class A mishap. This time, I mean, and that was that was not a small number either. What was that, six? You had the, one of the pilots in the F-18, and you had five, all five crew members of the KC-130J. Right? We're not doing that. So this has got to be not lower but higher. I, I, so I, I don't know. I, so who decides? Does headquarters Marine Corps decides who do, does this investigation? Because Lieutenant General Rudder owns it, right? Well, he's PAC. He's PAC. So the MEF commander is the one that initiated the investigation. Um, but doesn't that come after some discussion? And and again, I, I'm just I. I, I don't, don't recall, know. I don't know, Will. I'm asking. I, yeah, I I don't recall an incident sort of at this level when I was up there. But you know, all the three stars talk to the four stars at least once a week. You know, Marfor Pack doesn't talk to the commandant every day, but he talks to him every week. MEF commander doesn't. He, the MEF, the MEF commander and Marfor Pack talk to the ACMAC probably at least once a week. And. Uh, yeah, we used to have a headquarters Marine Corps staff meeting, which was, uh, I don't think they were on there. But in the MROC, they're in there, and the MROC goes every week or two weeks at the most. What's the MROC? The Marine Requirements Oversight. You know, it's really the money thing, but all the three stars are in there. Um, yeah, you'd see that, like, one MEF and then the, the fleet commander would, uh, they'd have a, It'd be a joint investigation. Like yeah. if there's something that goes wrong on a flight deck for an aircraft carrier and a marine squadron involved, you're gonna have you're gonna have both do an investigation. And I think that that it's a no brainer for this because it's an amphib. You know, it's like okay. A, so so explain yeah, how this happens to me though. So Will, you're the commandant. Jeff's pack. I'm one meth, right? Timmy's gonna yeah, so sit. Here's, this, here's Timmy's gonna I sit to us with this one out as one meth. I should be the you know, I'm going to investigate myself, 
and I well, might he, and I might be part of the investigation. What perhaps should have come out is the I.O., the investigating officer, very soon gets in to realize the material condition of the vehicles that potentially means that the division commander did yeah. not properly source. And at that point, you got to go to the three-star and say, hey, sir, there's an implication here at a two-star level. And it, maybe that's the point that this thing should be kicked up to somebody else. I don't know. Right. It, it's... And it came out, I think, pretty early on. Yeah. Um, you know, is this something that the IG of the Marine Corps should have taken on? Because I got to tell you, this is a full-time job, right? right. I yeah. mean, I don't know how long it took Colonel Fredrickson to do it, but it took him a long time to put this Shit, thing yeah. together. Well, it happened on the 30th, right? Yeah, you don't have a lot of three-star generals sitting around doing nothing, but the IG of the Marine Corps works directly for the commandant. Right. Um, July 30th, and it just came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't note the dates on when the endorsements were done. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, sometimes it's pretty amazing to me leadership being unaware of where they really are in terms of uh, significant event. And that, yeah, you, you are a man of history right now. Yeah. And this is a black swan that happened to become a two or three or a four star general. No, you're a man of history when you do this. And that awareness is, I don't know. It's a big black swan, and it doesn't seem like people recognized it was a black swan until I don't know when. Yeah. Um, Timmy, what are you reading? Well, I I finished that book by Wesley Morgan, The Hardest Place, which was a story about not just Kunar, more specifically, our entire campaign in the Pesh Valley. Interesting stuff that I found in that book that's fascinating, but given the length of time, I'll defer to a later date. Because I think uh, I think we'll, it it will generate a discussion about it to, amongst us about Afghanistan that we need to have. Got it. But it was an awesome book, right. awesome book, and it's 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 uh, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, ultimately, what we achieved in that place with drones, but it was uh, I, it, it's it's there's just too much to it to go into right now. Got it. And the name of the book was. The Hardest Place the hardest by Wesley place. Morgan. Right. It's Army-centric. The only Marine officer who appears in it is, who would, who would that be? Who would you expect to see in any oh, book about a war? Dale Alford. Exactly. Like exactly. It. I think he's going to be popping up in books for the next 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Interrupter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dale Dale was up there during, uh, during the early days, but he's the only guy that makes an appearance from the Marine side. It's an Army-centric book, but it's fascinating. Got it. Fascinating. Got it. Jeff, what are you reading? I'm reading uh, Lines and Shadows, a book by Joseph Wamba about uh, the uh, Border Alien Task Force uh, in the canyons adjacent to San Diego in 1978. This uh, former Border Patrol guy who was a lieutenant in, uh, in the uh, San Diego Police Department came to California as a Oki during the uh, later part of the Depression with his family, and he worked with a lot of these uh, – you know, um, braceros, you know, uh, temporary workers who had come from Mexico. And uh, when he was, you know, and as the 70s came up, you started seeing illegals in a big way coming through the canyons. And uh, they're being victimized by 
what we now call coyotes. And so San Diego Police Department, based on his, he, he kind of put the thing in the uh, public eye. They put this force out there. It's a true story. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, this is before the big drug cartels were so solidified as they are now. Um, and, uh, it, and but it, what's happened, what was, what was going on then in San Diego is now really going on in Texas because Texas is now the main thrust of, uh, you know, the uh, – the illegal population coming in. But it's just interesting because it's like the beginning of this thing, you know right, what I mean, right. that we're going through now. Right, right. All right. So. Well, what are you reading? Uh, I finished reading The Zealot and the Emancipator by H.W. Brand, sort of a dual biography of uh, John Brown and Abraham Lincoln. And uh, I just, I highly recommend it. You read some of Lincoln's writings and how he thought about things, and you learn a lot about John Brown. Um my timeline is probably off, but uh, John Brown is captured, let's say, on a Monday. You know when he went to trial? Tuesday morning. <laughs> it was It was like the next Monday. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was He's less. A He's a Connecticut man. <laughs> it was less than a week. But, but in just some of Brown's writing, Brown was not, you know, some idiot. Uh, so it just really, it's very interesting uh, just how... Lincoln dealt with emancipation and things like that. So, uh, and his writing is, it's almost embarrassing the way the guy could write in his vocabulary. And there's not a single politician alive today that could even come close to him. So really good book though. Got it. Well, um, I want to thank you guys for, uh, uh, all the diligence on this and will thank you for putting together that timeline. I appreciate it. Um, uh, Timmy, Jeff, uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, hanging in here for a couple hours. Uh, again, I just know a lot of people listen, and uh, they're not into reading 1,700-page investigations. So uh, thank all you guys for kind of boring through that stuff. And uh, and next week, you know, we'll talk about what, what do we think are the implications of this for commanders? What is the direction? Uh, you know, how much, you know, how much more guidance? I mean, we've, we've been doing Muse forever. How much more guidance do, do do people need to do it right? And so, uh, so we'll talk about that. So, uh, thank you very much, uh, men. Have a great uh, day, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, brother. See you out of here. See you later. More of All Marine Radio coming up next, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.